now from the letter to the Ephesians. We'll begin with chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the, the good pleasure of his will, to praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. This is the word of God for the people of God. There's a story of a young boy who was just learning how to play darts. And he practiced all day working hard just to get the dart to the dart board. And when his dad got home from work, the little boy was so excited to show his father what he had, had learned. And he invited his father to play a game of darts. And the invitation went something like this. Dad, I'll throw the darts and you say, wonderful. <laughs> now, this is the first part of the letter to the church in Ephesus. It opens with this... Uh, expansive hymn-like paragraph celebrating God's favor toward the Christian community. It's as if God is saying to us, you live your lives loving God and loving others in the various ways, diverse ways of your spiritual gifts, and my job will say, be to say to you, wonderful. But you know, sometimes it's hard to hear the word, isn't it? Sometimes it is. Even when it is, as the scripture says, lavished upon us, it's an extravagant word, wonderful. It's something we can miss sometimes. We can allow it to roll off our backs like water off of a duck. We sometimes seem unable to receive it and embrace it. I was at a meeting from, uh, from clergy uh, a while back, but I remember hearing a particular story. Uh, one pastor saying, the problem with the vision of the church or of the Christian life in general is that Monday happens. Sunday we gather to worship God, to fellowship with our sisters and brothers in the Christian faith. We praise God through music and prayer. We hear a good word from the scripture and then Monday happens. And when Monday happens, we're, we're beckoned to recite those deeply rooted mantras. Even if we don't say it out loud, those mantras of rejection and failure, shamefulness, guilty, uh, meaninglessness, hopelessness. 
Someone has said that if each day is a gift, I'd like to know where to return Monday. And the words and phrases we heard this morning, they are extravagant. We're blessed in Christ. We're chosen in Christ. We're adopted as his children. His glorious grace he freely bestows on us and the riches of his grace are lavished on us. And too often we allow these phrases to be minimized on Monday or any other day that we're faced with the vicissitudes of life. I have a friend on Facebook, no one from Aldersgate if you're wondering. But this friend, she has this kind of mantra on her posting. On Monday, she talks about the drudgery of it and the boredom of Tuesday. Around Wednesday, she starts looking forward to Friday. And on Friday, she's elated that it's about to be Saturday. And then Sunday, can't wait to get to church and worship, have a good time with her church family. Then Sunday evening, again, the litany of job dread. Now, you may know some people like this. It seems the extravagant love of God that God wants her to experience is somehow diminished by her allowing the undesirable circumstances to be the center of her life. Now, to be sure, I'm not diminishing anybody's difficulties. Life can be hard. And the author of Ephesians knows this. He knows that the community in Ephesus has experienced some hard times. He knows that Monday morning comes for them, and they might face a host of gods who who try to drown out the extravagant love of God. And here's the thing. We all, at one time or another, we experience this kind of dread, don't we? We experience this kind of anxiety of life. It's called the human condition. Each one of us has a story. Each one of us came in here with our own story today, and those we meet on Monday mornings, they have their story too. Beneath uh, the veneer of apparently happy people can sometimes be an aching and troubled spirit. However, God's deep desire is for us to live embraced by the extravagant love of God where we step boldly into life and where God's job for us is for us to hear God say, wonderful. The Westminster Catechism of Reformed Theology says it more poetically. The Catechism begins by saying, the chief end of humankind is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. Now, we're to enjoy God. When's the last time you really enjoyed being in God's presence? Talking with God, listening for God, laughing with God, singing with God, even being intimate enough with God to be able to argue with God. In the film, The Apostle, there's a, a difficult, well, the whole film is difficult, but there's a difficult but moving scene where this Pentecostal preacher named Sonny, he has experienced the ultimate Monday of life. His wife has left him. He's been removed from the church that he planted and he nurtured. And one evening, he's praying with such intimacy, he's in the upstairs of his mother's home. The neighbors call over to say, what is going on over there? And she says, oh, that's Sonny. He's praying. Well, he prays for God to blow the pain out of his life. He yells and professes that he is mad and that he's mad at God. He prays that he has always called Jesus, Jesus. And Jesus has always called him Sonny. But right now, it feels like Jesus doesn't have much time for Sonny. Now, friends, that's intimacy. 
Because you don't argue with someone like that unless you have an intimate relationship with them. And even though Sonny's prayer is one of pain and feeling abandoned, this is the kind of prayer that leads to the embracing of extravagant love of God. You know this to be true because haven't we been on the outs with persons before? And then when we reconcile, it's a deeper connection. It may be different, but to be sure it's deeper. So how do we do this thing? How do we embrace the extravagant love of God that God desires for us, where we don't let the uh, circumstances of a Monday dictate how we live. And the Ephesians author has a threefold process here in these short verses. Three concentric circles, moving from the center toward the outer circle of life. The first circle speaks to us of God's character. The scripture says that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, that God has adopted us as children and redeemed us and made us whole through the Son, Jesus Christ. And although it doesn't explicitly say this, I think it is uh, telling us to remember the first commandment found in Exodus 20 that says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, God is saying, I have liberated you, I have redeemed your past, and you can trust me to continue redeeming you the grace of my son Jesus. The scripture challenges us um, to, um, to stand up against the masked idolatry, the quiet idolatry of worshiping those gods that, that try to tell us that we're not made in the image of God. God, the image of God where we are made in the image of love. Sometimes Mondays, uh, gods not only give us hardships, but they can also feed our ego. They can masquerade as good, but only offer us that which makes us thirst more for them. They don't liberate and redeem. Instead of helping us live into the reality of life with God as the center of our being, they give us false hope, causing us to lose heart. Merle Jordan, one-time professor at Boston Divinity School, writes in his book, Taking on the Gods, a person is largely defined by what he or she places at the center and the ground of their personality. In other words, who I am is determined by whose I am. God says, I've redeemed you and liberated you to embrace my extravagant love. I've, I've shared this story with you before, but uh, if I have, it bears repeating. My mom's not a trained theologian. She is a retired blue-collar textile mill worker. But she preached a sermon to me in a few words when I was a senior in high school. And it's still one of the finest sermons I've ever heard. I just graduated from high school, and the, the rite of passage for a high school graduate in Kannapolis, North Carolina, in 1976, was to go to Myrtle Beach. And so, I was about to give my mom a kiss as I walked out the door to meet my ride, and she looked me in the eyes, and she said, don't forget whose you are. Now, her sermon wasn't about me being her son or a proud graduate. She meant for me to remember my baptism, to not forget whom I ultimately belong to. So the first part of this scripture is about that. It's about God and the character of God and how we can trust God because of who God is. And that next circle moves from personal relationship with God to a relationship with others. The author says, God has made known to us the mystery of God's will that he set forth in Christ 
as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in Christ, things on heaven and on earth. In our world today, we seem to be polarized more than any other time I can remember in my lifetime. It's easy today to talk about the world going to hell in the handbasket. We hear it on the radio, we watch it on TV, uh, we read it in the papers. But God says to us in the scriptures today that we, the church, we can't give up hope. We cannot give up on ourselves and we can't give up on anyone else because all persons are redeemable. And we will be gathered up in Christ. Our being blessed in Christ, our being chosen in Christ, our being adopted as God's children through Christ, it's not just about us individually. It's about us collectively. On more than one occasion, throughout my years of ministry, I've heard witnesses of parishioners in the Mondays of their lives share with me that in the midst of their pain, they experienced hope and healing and redemption by reaching out to someone else and helping them. And it reminds me of the words of N.T. Niles, who said, evangelism, which is good news, the good news of God is one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Now the final verses of our scripture illuminates the kind of life that is to be led by a people who know themselves to be adopted and blessed. It's a life that's confident and assured of our inheritance through Christ. It's a confidence that takes on the gods of Monday and shows forth the extravagant love in the midst of life's circumstances. It's a confidence that allows us to love God and to enjoy God forever. It's a confidence that reminds us that we're the beloved of God and that we are to love God with all that we are. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And when we do this, we can hear God's word through us. Wonderful. Author Brennan Manning tells a story about a Detroit priest who spent two weeks in Ireland vacationing with an uncle celebrating his 80th birthday. And one morning, the priest and his uncle went out to the um, shores of Lake Killarney to watch the sunrise. And the priest says for 20 minutes, they stood there in silence. And he finally broke the silence by saying, Uncle Seamus, you look very happy. His uncle said, well, I am. And the nephew asked, why? Why are you so happy, Uncle Seamus? And the uncle said with a smile on his face, the father of Jesus is very fond of me. That's it, isn't it? That's it. Uncle Seamus knew that he was beloved of God. And here's the thing. We can know that too. We can know that we are beloved by God. We can know that the Father of Jesus is very fond of each of you. And this is God's gift to you and to me. This is God's gift to us so that we can love God and enjoy God forever. This is God's gift for us so that we can help others know that God desires to lavish his love upon them too. So may we embrace the blessed assurance of Jesus for our lives. May we live our lives on Monday or any other day as the beloved of God. And may we live knowing that God will gather up all things in the grace and the love of Jesus. All things will be redeemed, made whole in him. God's divine response then to each of us will be God's divine response to each one of us will be